Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today was born in Milan, Italy, and a family of writers. After high school, he moved to Los Angeles and attended Santa Monica College and later graduated from UCLA with a BA in anthropology. When he was 20, he co-authored his first book and co-authored two more books, and his first solo book was published when he was 22. He currently teaches at a couple of universities and hosts two podcasts, History on Fire and The Drunken Taoist. You may have seen or heard him as a guest on other popular podcasters like Joe Rogan, Adam Carolla, and more. He's been training in martial arts for over 32 years. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Daniele Bolelli. How are you doing today, sir? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for taking the time. I, I truly appreciate it, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to learn more about you. So, Let's go play. All right. Well, what, what we like to do with all my guests, I want to go back to the very beginning, and I want to know kind of what started your martial arts journey. Where did that first spark, that first interest came from that, that led you down that path? Mm, I think there are probably two answers to that. There's okay. uh, the obvious one, which I think it accounts for pretty much anybody of my generation and probably even of current generations is that, you know, you watch stuff. I probably watched Bruce Lee and <laughs> I was like, whoa, what's that? That's amazing. That kind of thing. But then, yeah. of course, the other side to it is um, I tend to spend a lot of time in my head. I, you know, have always been reading a lot, writing a lot. My work is very in your head kind of stuff. So I always found it refreshingly beautiful to do something where it's purely objective, like in martial arts, you either do well or you don't. You know, there's very little arguing. You know, if you're sparring and you are, you it's pretty clear if you're doing well or not. Right. So I like that simplicity of uh, taking a break from, you know, you can come up with the most sophisticated argument in the world and there will be somebody who based on no evidence, just dismiss it. Or, you know, you do it yourself to other people. So the point being, so much of what we do at a mental level can be argued, there can be debates, there can be discussions. I really enjoy the simplicity of a discipline where the evidence sort of speaks for itself. Okay. What age when you first got involved in actual structured training and, and what was that first style you jumped into? So I started training at 17 when I was still in Italy and I was training primarily Chinese martial arts and I continued with Chinese martial arts in the early part of like, I think I got more serious about it when I was about 21. Okay. I had uh, started by that point after experimenting with a few styles, I started getting heavy in this one style called Kung Fu Sun Tzu. That's uh, mm -hmm. it's really more likely than not. That's a variation on Choi Li Foot but uh, very changed to, to an American context. And that's kind of what I started going real heavy on. And okay. then eventually from there, I moved more toward combat sports, toward okay. uh, jiu-jitsu, judo, boxing, MMA, that kind of stuff. 
so that that first style you studied, what was it when you you took that first class and what was it about it that made you say, I'm going to keep doing this, I'm going to make this part of my life? Kind of what stands out maybe those first few classes and that first instructor? I think honestly, the first four years, I was just dabbling around, just okay. trying things. And I wasn't really that sure about anything, but I did, you know, I did enjoy the practice. I did enjoy getting sweaty and working and seeing but there was nothing in particular that called out to me. I think when I started Sansu, I got, uh, I was intrigued with the, there was an element of, you know, Sansu is more of a traditional style. Mm -hmm. And yet there was a little bit more freedom than in much traditional uh, type of training where there was a lot more, you know, after you learn some techniques, you are supposed to put them together in a free flow sequence when somebody's coming at you. Now it's not sparring because it's still, uh, somebody's it, they are a pre-established role you know one guy is attacking one guy is defending but you don't know how they are going to attack you and vice and you also don't know how you're gonna what techniques you will use you'll have to sort of put them together on the spot so i right. enjoyed i enjoyed that kind of training i i found it very freeing in some way i i found it fun you know i, I did like the idea of a style that was emphasizing self-defense but in slightly more realistic fashion Okay. And then, so those first few years before you got involved in the combat sports, did you do any kind of competition with those at all or? No, not much of a thing at that time. I mean, I did once, I think the only time, because especially in Sansu, they weren't doing competitions. They did one time this big event where they did the forms and, and, you know, I trained in other Chinese styles where there was so much more emphasis on forms and precision. So I did well in that because most of the people training Sun Tzu were, to be honest, fairly awful at that stuff. So <laughs> I enjoyed, I remember, you know, playing with the staff, playing with weapons and things like that. And, uh, and I had a great time with it. What was it that then led you to combat art? I think it's the classic problems of self-defense styles that while, in my opinion, they are sometimes uh, wrongly downplayed by combat sports folks, because I think they do offer some great things. The problem is that you end up talking about it. There's so much that's hypothetical because the reality is that you can never train fully realistically or you kill each other. Right. So there's always the question of, uh, oh, I would have done this or this would have worked. And it's like, do you know that that would have worked? Have you ever tried that against somebody who's coming at you full power, full speed, uh, packed with adrenaline, you know? Could it work? Sure. Would it? less sure you know and so i did enjoy even though combat sports of course you are limiting the range of techniques that you can execute and some of them are obviously very unrealistic from the point of view of self-defense i do enjoy the the objectivity of it the fact that within those rules there's no there's no hypothetical left somebody's gonna win somebody's gonna lose somebody's technique is gonna work somebody's technique is not gonna work and uh, and I enjoy that aspect. I found that too often in self-defense arts, people became really good at talking and not quite as backing it up. <laughs> I've noticed that a lot too. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So then when you, when you finally decided to go towards the, the combat side of martial arts, I, I'm assuming by that time, uh, the UFC had already come out? Yeah, definitely. I think I started making the switch. I mean, I've watched UFC kind of from the beginning, but mm -hmm. I think I started making the switch in my training more when I was, uh, it must have been like 2001, 2002, okay. somewhere around there. So UFC had already been around for almost a decade by then. 
And so what was the first thing you went to? Did you first, did you go to a, a more mixed martial arts gym? Did you seek out jujitsu first? Did you go boxing? Yeah, yeah, I think um, one of my teachers was actually teaching Chinese martial arts, was teaching uh, Bagua and Shingi. He was also really skilled in jujitsu. Now he's really high level game in jujitsu. And uh, but even back then, he so he was he himself was sort of transitioning from more traditional arts to uh, specifically to jujitsu, and so he started playing with grappling a little bit. Okay, I remember doing some MMA smokers, and the first time I did one, I was like, "Whoa, a lot of stuff that I thought would work really don't work." And uh, I and I realized that the minimal amount of jujitsu I knew was coming in handy much more so than so much of the stuff I trained for a long time. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I started playing, yeah, more with jujitsu and boxing. Those oh. were the primary thing. And oddly enough, one thing that helped me a ton, even though I never studied that long, I did just a little bit of wrestling and oh, I okay. loved it. Just, I felt that learning how to shoot a double or a single, I was like, wow, those are doesn't take a genius to figure out how to make them work and knowing how to do them or not knowing how to do them makes a gigantic difference. And uh, how many uh, MMA fights did you end up doing? So I ended up doing, uh, I did, uh, these were, keep in mind, most of these were like smokers, yeah. sort of friendly with headgear where there's, it depended on each one, but more or less there was a, hey, we both want to walk out of here alive. So, you know, <laughs> right. you're testing each other, but you're, I did like 24 of those, oh, nice. and then I did a couple of fights that I guess technically were pro fights, but mm -hmm. you know, the low level of pro is not really that different from amateur, really. Yeah, I found the list of your two pro fights, but I know, like I said, a lot of the amateur stuff and, and things like that before the commissions were around, you can't really find records of those, unfortunately. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much. I think I have a couple of those on Sherdog, and I mean... Those technically do fit the the baseline of what pro fights are. But mm -hmm. again, even if today you go to some uh, regional local pro fights, the unlicensed kind on American Indian reservation kind of thing, they are, you know, they are a bit of a circus half of the time because, you know, there are people who are really skilled and people who have no idea what they are doing and they are kind of all thrown in there at the same time. That is true. Definitely. Now I, I was reading in here. It said one of your, um, MMA, uh, heroes was Sakuraba. That's oh kinda, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I haven't had a lot of people mention that name. That's kind of cool. What, what did, uh, when did you first, uh, become aware of, uh, Sakuraba and what, what are some things that you liked about him? Well, Saku in the early days of pride was uh, sort of this, uh, this surprise for everybody because he just started beating really legit guys. And mm -hmm. when you look at Saku, you know, he, he fought that, weight divisions where he really shouldn't have because realistically he should have fought probably a 170 yeah and he was fighting heavyweights or light heavyweights and uh, he was smoking and drinking and laughing during his fight i mean on one hand he looked like a clown in uh, the most adorable way possible but yep. and yet his skill was undeniable he was just murdering some of the top fighters in the world at the time so I really enjoyed the fact how, and, and I like him as a person, you know, he seemed like a really fun, nice guy who mm -hmm. had a good time and did, which to me is, um, especially in a sport like MMA, where so many people are, tend to be on the rougher side of things, seeing people who are, who seem to be pretty decent human beings on the outside is 
is always pleasant. And he's beaten. I mean, well, not only, you know, one of the first to beat some of the Gracies, but yep. I mean, he's beaten some big names in MMA back then. So yeah, it's, I've, I've seen, well, seen a few of his fights on video and stuff and definitely fun to watch. I mean, I, wasn't his nickname the Gracie killer, if I remember correctly? Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he was amazing. He was amazing. He was, uh, I mean, when you look at like, just to make an example, one of the most heroic things ever done in MMA, like when uh, Hoyce Gracie, as usual in Gracie style, in order to accept the fight, uh, to tweak the rules, do everything in a way to basically favor himself. Mm-hmm. And so he required no time limit. You know, they would do 15-minute rounds until there was a submission or a KO. There was no possibility to stop it otherwise. Yep. And Sakuraba accepted it and did six of those rounds. And after an hour and a half of fighting, eventually forced Hoist to give up. And uh, and that would be huge already. But this was part of a tournament. So, you know, I forget if it was an hour later or something. He comes back to fight a guy who at the time was the most feared heavyweight striker in the world, being a guy who was like 180 or something or whatever he weighed, which wasn't much. Yeah. And fought him to a draw. And only at that point, when they order a supplemental round, and by then he had been fighting for almost two hours, he was like, okay, guys, I think I'm done. But, I mean, that's like one of the craziest thing ever seen in MMA. Yeah, that is, that's, an, I remember hearing that story, not, not, not told as well as you just did, but I, I, I've heard bits and pieces of it before. Just, yeah. have, you, have you ever got to meet him? No, no, okay. never met him. Bummer. Okay. That would be cool. It'd be cool to just sit down and have a conversation yeah. with him and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So then what, what was next in your martial arts journey? You started training in MMA. What, what came next? So yeah, I just spent a bunch of times with, um, with boxing. Definitely. I did boxing a okay. bit. I did, uh, and then, uh, jujitsu and judo primarily. I did some shui jiao too, which is kind of a Chinese, like if you're going to compare it, it's sort of a Chinese version of judo. It's very similar to judo, but also okay. with some unique aspects, but so primarily grappling except for the boxing part. Now, did you ever compete in, in the grappling or boxing individually? I did some stuff in grappling. Yeah, I did like some submission grappling. Always no gi. I never competed in a gi. Okay. I've done a little bit in no gi and, uh, and that was fun. And at what, uh, when did you start teaching you know, martial arts? When did that become something that interests you? So I started teaching actually very early because uh, I was teaching Sun Tzu way back when in, uh, I think it was 1998 when I first started teaching. Mm-hmm. I taught for like, I don't know, six, seven, eight years um, through um, a class that they were offering at UCLA. I was teaching Sun Tzu. But as I was teaching, I was also, my own journey was moving progressively more toward combat sports. So, you know, my my focus started changing a little bit. And, you know, I don't regret anything about the Sun Tzu part. I really do feel that sometimes combat sport folks miss out on some of the advantages of self-defense. And they think that what works in a cage is there's a one-on-one ratio between that and straight. Right. And it's clearly not the case. At the same time, I do think that there's a lot in combat sports that can translate to self-defense, sometimes even better than some self-defense art. So to me, it's it's really, uh, if you want to talk about effectiveness, and especially effectiveness not in a sporting context, is a mix between what you learn from combat sports versus what you learn in more self-defense-oriented arts. So is there any uh, styles you haven't studied yet that you want to still? Uh, let's see. 
I mean, one thing I've always loved, but I, I studied a little bit, but never spent that much time on, was uh, Filipino martial arts. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, those are awesome. They are really beautiful. I've done a little bit, and I loved it. But yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to play as much as I would like. Oh, yeah, and you're in, you're in Southern California, so you could go train with one of the best, with Dan and Asanto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. So. so now you said you, you started teaching at a very young age. Now, do you still teach? No, I mean, yeah, okay, let me rephrase it. Okay. Yeah, I just taught a class last night, so I guess, yeah, <laughs> I do teach. But like, uh, not in a, you know, I go in and I'm like, oh, I'll cover for you. I'll teach class tonight or, okay. you know, things like So last night I taught both uh, kickboxing class and uh, jujitsu class, but it's, it's not my school. It's right. not my program. I'm more like stepping in and covering or, you know, Okay. Things like that. So think back then to when you first taught Sansu to now. Mm-hmm. What, what do yep. you think has changed the most about your teaching style? Well, I mean, right now is uh, I'm teaching more combat sports mm-hmm. than self-defense. I think I've always had a weird style in everything I did because I trained in so many things that like whatever I did was never like the pure thing was always influenced by other experiences I had, even subconsciously. You know, I remember when I would train with my boxing teacher and he would say, it's funny because anytime you throw a good punch, it never lands because, you know, yes, it's a good punch, but I've seen a zillion top-notch boxers throw the punch at me faster, harder, better. So you're doing good, but, mm-hmm. you know, anytime you throw a horrible punch, you hit me every time because <laughs> you're hitting from weird angles that you really shouldn't be punching from, but completely catch me by surprise. I don't see them coming and they land. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of my gig. You know, I tend to, whatever game I'm playing it, it tends to be fairly unorthodox the way I go about it. That makes sense though. That's kind of, kind of a cool way to look at it. I mean, when you, and I, I, I used to judge combat sports. I judged about a thousand fights and yeah, I, mm-hmm. I did see a lot of bad punches land. So <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah. does make sense. <laughs> I mean, I remember I would do things that objectively make no sense. Like I remember faking shots in boxing mm-hmm. where it's not even legal. You know, I can't shoot on a guy. I can't shoot a double leg. And so I would drop level and sell the shot so much that half of the time the person's hands would drop a little and then I would throw an overhand or something. And it was funny because it's like, there's no reason why you should respond to that feint because I'm fainting something that's not even legal. But if you faint well enough, sometimes it doesn't matter. You can create opening precisely because it's so unusual. And most people are not used to seeing it and they freak out because they're like, what's happening? You know. And I, w- I was reading that you, uh, I'm not sure if this is current, but do you, you coach and manage uh, a female MMA fighter? Yeah, I mean, she's, I don't know if she still want to fight or not. Um, and I totally get it because uh, especially when you fight at a professional level, once you move from the low level regional, once you go to higher level, mm-hmm. it's a rough game because yeah. you're fighting really good people for next to no money. I mean, even the big organizations, they pay you nothing, you know, when you're, unless you've made it to the top 10, you're seen very little money like to a level that really doesn't justify the risks so you need to really want to do it and that need to be your number one priority in your life and i'm not that sure that that's what she wants so i think i like she did well you know she she fought five times she wants four fights 
two of those wins were in one of the biggest organizations in the world because she fought for one. Oh, yeah. And, and so, you know, you have two wins in one of the biggest organizations in the world. That's awesome. I'm not sure. You know, I don't know if... Uh, also because, you know, again, it gets tricky when you're dealing with matchmaking and promoters and things, you know. It's like, I don't have the most positive outlook on most of these folks in the sense that I've seen... Uh, like half of the time, my problem is not so many, you know, the stereotype of the promoters is that they are there to exploit you. And right. that part is true. But more importantly, I find that they lack uh, an ability to create characters, to create stories, to do stuff in a way that makes like so much of matchmaking is just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks with no plan whatsoever. You know, they offer you a really easy fight one day, a really horrible one the next, and there's no rhyme or reason, you know? And so dealing with that is pretty frustrating. I definitely get that. I, you know, being a, a judge and working with a lot of different promoters, I, I definitely saw a lot of the, the bad side of MMA too, unfortunately. And it's gotten better, but the bad ones are still out there, unfortunately. So, but hopefully, I mean, hopefully if she wants to, she'll do it again. I mean, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good record, <laughs> whether she yeah. fights again or not. I mean, obviously she, she got to, you know, the one championship, which is not easy to do. So good. Congrats on that. Yeah, and, and good for her. Yeah, and it was cool. I mean, every one of her fights, even the one she lost, they were all exciting. I think only one of them went to the second round. You know, they were all finishes. They were all uh, in one. The one she lost, she got choked on a guillotine. The other one, she all got KO or TKO. Oh, yeah. So it was just like all very exciting stuff in that sense. Oh, but yeah. again, you know, <laughs> you take a lot of damage. Not, so, I don't think she took a no damaging fighting. She took, you know, you take damage in training a lot yes. of the time. So yeah. you're taking damage, you make no money, you know, I can see how that would be not the most uh, logical thing to keep doing for a long time. Agreed. Yeah, I could, I could see that. It's definitely something I, I never wanted to do. I never considered that. So mm -hmm. it's, I've, I've trained other people myself, but uh, no interest in stepping in that cage myself. So yeah. When did writing become something that interested you? Uh, kind of that has always been a part of my life because okay. since I was a kid, uh, you know, I grew up, my father wrote a ton of books, my mom was a journalist. So writing was kind of like breathing, you know, it's just what people around me did all the time. It mm -hmm. wasn't. Uh, so, so, you know, I started experimenting with it as a kid and kept doing it, published a book fairly young and then kept doing that too. So I, you know, writing has been, that's why today, like when I notice uh, my daughter is, uh, she's she's about to turn 14 and she's a killer writer, but I'm not that impressed, to be honest. Not because it's not objectively impressive, but because mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, yay, you write well. Tell me something I don't know. You know, it's like <laughs> I grew up in an environment where writing well is pretty normal. So it's not. Uh, on the other hand, she's a terrific singer. And that oh. impresses me because I'm like, oh, I don't know how to sing word crap. I don't know too many people work. That impresses me because I have no idea how you're doing it, you know. So I'm just like, whoa. Yeah, the singing part is cool because I, I have three kids at all the musical theater, so all my kids can sing, and I I can't carry a tune, so it impresses yep. the heck out of me when I see that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, did you get your uh, daughter involved in martial arts at all? Uh, yeah, she did. So far, she primarily did taekwondo, which okay. I find a uh, fantastic intro arts for kids. Yes, you know, and when it it works on stuff that's already good for kids with flexibility, they are 
honestly, in terms of pedagogy, I have never seen anybody better than some taekwondo schools in how they teach class, how they handle things for kids. You know, yep. I find it a fantastic starter martial art for kids. I would agree. Yeah, that's that's my core style is taekwondo, and that's yeah. what all my kids did for you know seven to seven to eight nine years each so yeah exactly i yeah. think it's a fantastic things to get kids in because um you know there's a certain simplicity to it that's perfect that you know sometimes you see some jujitsu moves where somebody's talking for five minutes trying to explain it you know yeah. trying to show that to a seven-year-old you're gonna get <laughs> you know you lose them really fast yes that is true so on your books that now am i looking at is two or three of your books martial arts based yeah, a couple. So one definitely was the first one that I wrote in English was uh, on the warrior's path. And that one is all uh, sort of philosophy and martial arts. Okay. And that's the last one that I published called Not Afraid includes uh, probably about a third of it is heavy on martial arts. You know, that one is somewhat autobiographical because there's a strong part about martial arts. And then there's about sort of the way some of these things affected my life. But then also there's parts about my life that are not specifically martial arts related. Okay. I'm actually just kind of glancing at them now. That's that's one reason I love you know interviewing people who have written books because I'll usually order the books and add them to my because I love martial arts books. And, yeah. and I mean, I love books. And I'm an avid reader who unfortunately, mm-hmm. once I started my podcast, I don't have time to read much anymore. I know. Yeah. I know the feeling. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I used to read a book a week and I've probably read like three or four in the last year, unfortunately. so Yeah, I get you. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah, because you do two podcasts. So we, yeah, you definitely yeah. don't like me. You stay busy. So, so so let's talk about that a little. What 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 made you decide to get into podcasting? So that was weird. It's um, I ended up, I'd written a book back in 2011. And uh, for a series of events that don't really make too much sense, there was a lot of luck involved, objectively speaking. And uh, But some guy named Matt Staggs was helping me out um, trying to get the word out about this book. And he calls me one day and he was like, oh, I got you on two podcasts on uh, Adam Carolla and Joe Rogan. And and I had no idea what podcasts were. You know, I mean, <laughs> I heard of Carolla, I heard of Rogan. I kind of knew what they were. So I was like, oh, cool. That's nice. But I remember going, I think Rogan may have been my first podcast or was the second one of those. And, you know, it's biggest podcast in the world. <laughs> yep. And uh, And I got there and I was like, I have no, like, I remember getting there and uh, Joe wasn't there yet. And there was uh, Brian Redman and I was like, podcast, what are we doing exactly? And he was like, ah, it's kind of like a radio, but you can cuss. I was like, okay, <laughs> good. I can do this. And, uh, and he worked out well, you know, and, um, you know, like the first episode really worked well. Like uh, Rogan ended up liking me. His audience liked me. So he had me on a bunch more times. Of course, because of being on Rogan, then they ended up being a guest on three zillion podcasts as a result of that. <laughs> and eventually then I started seeing the, the potential in the medium, you know, realizing how many people who listen. And I was like, okay, that's there's something interesting there. So I... I started my first one in 2012, and then in 2015, I put two and two together because, you know, one of one of the main ways I, I earn my living is I teach history in mm-hmm. university. Yep. And so I was like, okay, I teach history. I'm already podcasting. One of my favorite podcasts is uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. So 
draw your own conclusion, maybe you should do the damn history podcast. And so I started doing that. I quickly realized it was way harder than I thought in the sense that the <laughs> yep. amount of preparation required is brutal. So I read a lot, but it's primarily history these days. I don't get to read for fun too much. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, once I started doing it, uh, it got big fairly fast, uh, got a lot of uh, success as a result of it. So I was like, okay, this is great. I can do this. It's, it's another way to tell stories. You know, books are, books are hard. Um, yes. You know, selling books is a very hard thing to do. The market is uh, less and less people read. Uh, there's so much out there. Making podcasts is uh, considerably easier. You know, I still get to tell stories in a different format, and um, I have a good time with it. And that one's that's history of fire. Is that one? So that's just all about history. And, and you do you have guests on there? Or is it just you telling no, stories? No, that one is uh, that one is just me telling stories. It's, okay. I do a deep dive of research in any one topic I find fascinating. You know, any time, any place, kind of thing. It can be five thousand years ago or fifty years ago. It can okay. be. US or any other part of the world. And then I read everything I can and then put it together in a way that hopefully is exciting and keeps listening at the edge of your seat, but at the same time being historically accurate, you know. And and in some cases when you are not sure what's historically accurate, because there's a lot of myths that get to be passed on and mm-hmm. nobody knows for sure, you, you just present it as such. You say, look, this is what some people say. The evidence is shaky at best. Draw your own conclusions, you know. Nice, and I'll, I'll definitely put uh, put links out there for both of them and check that out. So, so now, what, now the drunken Taoist. What, what is that about exactly for people to want to check out? So, yeah, that's a hard. I think that's why it's a harder one to sell in a way because mm-hmm. there is no exactly. It's oh. about life, you know. It's about anything. Uh, the topics change dramatically episode to episode, different guests come on, you know, one day I can talk about martial arts, one day I'll talk about Taoist philosophy, one day we're talking about sports, one day we're talking about, you know, really anything. So it's okay. uh, it's sort of a container for whatever I feel like chatting about on that day. And how often do each of those come out? So Drunken Taoist typically is about a couple a month. Um, so about two episodes a month. Okay. Those are easy too, because I don't really need to prepare that much. Yeah. And then uh, History on Fire is, uh, used to be one a month. Right now it's two, but not because I'm creating two a month. It's because I have some back catalog that was behind the paywall for a while. So I'm getting to release that uh, for free now for the first time. So that allows me to put two episodes a month, but I'm really not creating more now. Like one a month is insane because yeah. it's already a brutal pace compared to how much you have to study. So yeah, I'm doing two a month <laughs> for now, but it's not going to last very long. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do one a week and it's it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, definitely is. is. I mean, I love editing audio. So that's why one mm-hmm. reason I'm willing to do it. But I mean, I, I spend about four, four to five hours on each episode editing the interview to get it ready. So, oh yeah, of yeah, course. It's fun. Definitely. So, so question that all the times you've been on the Joe Rogan show, did you ever get to talk to talk martial arts with Joe? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. He's one of my dream guests. I've, I've put the request out and I'm just fingers crossed that I'll, I'll get an answer back, but he'd be, I mean, he's, he's another one who's been martial arts his whole life. So he'd be, he'd be fun to talk to. I love the, the people who you don't know for being martial artists like that. You know, that's right. not what he's known for and stuff. So it'd be, he'd be an, another fun one to chat with. Yeah. Joe is a hard one to get a response from <laughs> yes. on anything. That's why I think honestly, I got really lucky with that because yeah. I mean, even now I've been, I've been on his show nine times. Wow. If I email him or send him a text, 
uh, 99% I'm not going to get a reply. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's just how it is. And, you know, I've been on this show nine times. Yeah. Still doesn't mean much. I still, the odds are I'm probably not going to get a reply. He's, he's a busy guy. I understand that. So. Yeah, <laughs> good, definitely. Good. So what you, know, you you've trained in multiple martial arts yourself. You've been to different schools. You've had your daughter in martial arts. What mm-hmm. is some advice you'd give someone who's thinking of getting involved in martial arts for the first time in their life? They've never done it. And they're just kind of wondering, you know, Hey, what are one or two tips you'd give them? And maybe one or two things they should avoid. I mean, I guess number one is what they're in there for. They should ask themselves the question, like, what are they trying to get out of it? Mm-hmm. Cause that makes a big difference. You know, if you want, uh, I want to learn how to protect myself. Well, that's one thing. If you say, I want to get a fun activity to get me in shape and is enjoyable. I want to, you know, there are hundred reasons why you could want to be in martial arts. And depending on what those reasons are, some places are going to be way better than others. So I think like it really depends other than this more general thing about uh, depending on what your goals are, you really need to go different places. I think then the other aspect is uh, go check out classes, look at the people who go there, see if the culture of the place is something that clicks with you, that you, where you feel good. And because ultimately you're going to have to spend a lot of time with these people. So you need to like them somewhat. You know, if you don't like the instructor, you probably shouldn't be there. Even if it's the best style for you in terms of what you want to achieve, being at a place with instructors you don't like, not worth it. Right. You know? ne- never mind the danger level because you're really you know, training with people if they are excessively hard you can take damage you know it's like so really you want to find a place where you feel comfortable that definitely makes sense yeah i know that's why i feel bad for people who live in like really small communities where they don't have maybe there's only one school if any at all and then they have no choice it's like you want to do it this is it you know that's exactly i I grew up my my hometown had one school yeah, that's rough. That's definitely rough. At that point, it's like, uh, if the school is great, wonderful. If the school is not great, then you have to figure out, you know, do you like it enough to put up with the fact that it really doesn't quite meet your standards or it's not worth it? Right. And that's, of course, an individual decision. I got to ask, since you're, you're, you grew up in Milan, I, I, one of my best friends from high school was actually from Rome. He it was a foreign exchange right. student, and we, we connected because he was also a martial artist. He had studied mm-hmm. um, Waduayu, and he said that was really popular oh, yeah. in Italy. So did you yeah. ever, ever encounter that style at all? Yeah, I remember hearing about it or I think seeing people. I mean, I never trained it, but yes, okay. that was a popular karate one. Nice. I, that, I had never heard about the style till I met him. So <laughs> then he ended up uh, training in Shotokan with me when, when he was over here for school. So now we, we, we talked a little bit about the, the UFC and stuff and, and MMA. So I'm curious, you know, you said you watched UFC from the beginning. Were you more a fan of the old school UFC with less rules? Or are you more a fan of the new modernized one with more rules and more restrictions? I mean, in terms of rules, it's... Um... It's tricky, I guess, because people back then, they were mostly, you know, from the point of view of a complete martial artist, they were Mm -hmm. fairly awful in the sense that they were usually at best really good at one thing and terrible at others. On the other hand, the format was clearly, you know, there's a lot that works today within certain specific rules. Mm -hmm. If the rules get weak, the same thing that works wonderfully is a terrible idea. You know, if you look at like, uh, even, you know, not so long ago, there was the Sterling fight with Henry Cejudo 
and Sterling does this thing in every one of his fights where he drops to his knees when he does a shot and he uses the idea of I'm on my knees, you cannot knee me kind of thing. Yep. He uses it to his, which of course is a horrible idea under any other context, except yep. that within those rules is a good idea and right. he does it successfully. So, you know, there are, I don't know, it varies, I guess. It really depends what you're looking for in it. I see the advantages both ways. Nice. Okay. So in all your years of martial arts, these can be people you've trained with and met. They don't have, it can be someone like a Bruce mm-hmm. Lee who you just slept to, but just who are maybe three, four, five names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? I really like, um, I mean, of course there's the Bruce Lee, Jigoro Kano in terms of historical importance, mm-hmm. you know, probably Kano and Lee are the two people who most have contributed to popularizing martial arts in, from the late 1800s through much of the 1900s. You yep. know, the impact that they've had is cannot be, that's actually, I did a couple of series about them for History on Fire. I did two episodes on Bruce Lee and I did oh. two episodes on uh, Jigoro Kano and the creation of Judo. Cool. Because to me, they are so central to the way martial arts uh, develop in in the world after that. Other than that, you know, I think like people I like, there's, you know, when you talk about combat sports, yeah, I love people like Sakuraba, Genki mm-hmm. Sudo, people who clearly have more to them than just martial arts where there's their personality shine the martial arts is just a vehicle for their personality to shine through right i really dig that those are the that's why in fact you know when you mention about favorite fighters you know when you mention somebody like sakuraba or ganki sud or people like that or even people who made it like you know evan tanner got a ufc title at one point but, you know, realistically, are there people better than them? Sure. Yeah. You know, they were high level, but they weren't necessarily the, but they were just fun, super interesting human beings. You right. know, and that's sort of what interests me the most. Or even somebody like George St. Pierre, you know, it's funny because you look at St. Pierre and he, he does not fit the prototype of the fighter. True. You know, he, and he achieved the highest possible level of success really not fit in the mold of the ultra tough uh, guy who's just i have no fear you know he was very <laughs> candid very honest about his feelings about his fears his insecurities and in some way you could dismiss him as like oh too much of a nice guy almost soft except then you see him fight and he's amazing you right. know so i always like that dichotomy like fighters who don't look like the stereotype of what a fighter is good i like that. that's a good outlook so all right now this one you know kind of touching on on the, the book the warrior's path book now is there in all your years is there one philosophy that you've learned or developed yourself through martial arts that just rises to the top of your list you come back to it it's part of your everyday life i think to me i guess there are a couple of ways to answer that one is uh, i'm interested in the way in the way martial arts affects the rest of your life. Because martial arts in and of themselves, ultimately, you know, there's a place where it's like, okay, well, who cares? You know, okay, you Mm -hmm. go in the school X number of hours a week and maybe you become even really skilled. So what? If you're still an awful human being, it's really not that important. It's not. uh, So I'm interested in the things that you can learn from martial arts that then you apply to daily life to become ultimately a better person. That's what I'm interested in. You know, the perfect armbar has only so much uh, transition to real daily life. Right. 
the tools to work on your character to become a more pleasant human beings, well, those are things that matter a lot. And when it comes to things that, for me, martial arts have played a big role, I mean, there are many, many, many things. Mm-hmm. One of them, though, is the probably least glamorous one, the one that people do not go into martial arts for that reason. You know, we all go into martial arts to gain a sense of empowerment. But uh, the reality of training is that you're going to get your butt kicked. (laughs) And the natural reaction is, this sucks. I don't want to be here, Mm -hmm. you know. And staying through uncomfortable situations, staying in a sparring session where you have no realistic chance of turning it around and quote-unquote win. You know, you're fighting essentially a hopeless fight because the person is just way better than you and there's nothing you... I mean, you can do whatever you want, but they have your number, you know, and you... And it's not just a blow to the ego, but also physically it sucks. You know, being physically dominated by another man is not a fun experience by any stretch of the imagination. And yet that ability to stay in it and to have that insane degree of determination to keep on giving your best in a situation that's objectively hopeless, to me, that's an ability that uh, that you can carry on in daily life. Because in daily life, you're going to run into absolutely hopeless situations where it doesn't matter how much you want reality to be otherwise, how hard you're working, how stuff is still not going to go your way. And being able to have that tenacity to stay with it I think that's as important as it gets. I love that answer. Uh, now, your daughter in Taekwondo, I should have asked this earlier, but does she compete? Has she gotten to the competition side of things? She did some. You know, okay. then there was COVID, so that kind yeah. of shuts things down for quite a while. And uh, now she's still training, but I think she's doing so much stuff that uh, mm-hmm. her focus has shifted a bit. So especially because yep. she's so intense about singing and music, she's... Uh, she still like to train, but that's definitely not the number one focus. So what, what does she like singing? What kind of music? Kind of all over the place, but she has a voice <laughs> nice. that's, um, it's odd because, you know, you see her and she's little and she's, you know, not even 14 yet. And her voice sounds like she's a 250 pound black lady from the 1950s, you know, it's so this hour. Um, wow. Just very soulful, deep voice, very, it does not fit a little girl, you know, it's like a voice that seemed to come from a person who has been through 10 lifetime and there's all this emotional depth to it and all of that. And so you're like, whoa, how does that fit? That is cool though. I mean, that's, that's, as a parent, I understand that that's the first time I saw one of my kids do a solo, you know, like, wow, where did that come from? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That's good. Proud parent for sure. You've done a lot in martial arts. You, you've been doing it for most of your life, you know, kind of like I have. So what's left? What do you, what do you still want to accomplish in martial arts? Do you have a, do you have a goal or are you just living it day by day? Yeah, very day by day. I don't really have a goal. I'm enjoying, you know, I got, I check certain milestones in terms of training. You know, I have uh, black belts in a few arts. I got a black belt in jiu-jitsu, judo, sansu, of course, from way back when. Mm-hmm. I enjoy teaching, but, you know, there's nothing really that I'm trying to achieve. I'm just, uh, in an ideal world, I just want to be able to keep training as long as I possibly can. 
having fun, enjoying and deriving all the benefits that I've gotten from it. But I have no, I'm not trying to get anywhere with it. Okay. And you, you had mentioned you had an interest in Filipino martial arts. So have you done any other weapons training at all? Yeah, I did some, uh, I did some um, earlier on, but I like uh, the, the Filipino martial arts have an element of realism that I had not found in, uh, in many other styles. Right. What's your favorite weapon to train with? Um, I think like purely in terms of how it feels for mm. my body to use, I really like um, long stuff, you know, like six foot tall stuff, yep. bow stuff kind of thing. Uh, I really enjoy that a lot. And then I do like all the stick blades kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I like the bow staff too. I think mainly I like the bow staff because it's probably the most realistic and practical one. Cause yeah, yeah you yeah. could like a, a pool stick or a broom handle or anything can become a bow staff. So absolutely. <laughs> nice. absolutely. All right. I got a few fun questions to wrap it up and you know, you were curious on your answers on some of these. Cause we're cool. I, I looked at your birthday. You're, you're 13 days older than me. We're, we were oh, both, both born in January 74. So hopefully that's that's, some of these will have the same answer, but first one, and that you can't pick one of your own favorite mm-hmm. martial arts book favorite martial arts book uh that's a hard one because mm-hmm. i've read so many like mm-hmm. of course being a voracious reader and being into martial arts i read really a lot um i did enjoy a lot i think that's a testament to how good a, a writer he is there are some books by john stevens he did some biographies of uh, various martial artists mm-hmm. he did a biography of Weshiba. he did a biography of tesh who was both a zen master and a sword um, fighting instructor i really enjoy those those are fantastic um okay. I enjoy, man, there's so many. It's hard to pick one. It's hard to pick, or even two or three. It's like there's, uh, on the philosophical level, there were many that, yeah, it's so hard to, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, like, my brain is going in so many different directions. I'm probably forgetting some that I'm just like, oh my God, that's like, how could I forget that one? That one is amazing. See, I'm the same. It's like, I, I ask the question mainly because it just gives me more books to add to my library, but I could never answer it myself. I mean, like I have, you know, I probably have my, maybe a top 10 list and I have like one, if someone wants me to recommend a book to someone else, usually the first one I'll say is, um, Zen and the martial arts by Joe Hyams. Yeah, just cause it's, book. it's a short, that's- it's a short book. It's a quick read and it's so good. I agree. And then yeah, it kind of depends, well you know, if it's, if it's a biography someone wants, I got a list of about 10 just martial arts biographies I recommend, you know, depending yep. on what they want to read and stuff like that. So yeah, I, it, it is a hard question, but it, I, I still love asking it. Yeah, for sure. You know, one that I remember, like just throwing some random stuff out there. I remember reading, uh, Unboxing by Joyce Carol Oates. That was a really interesting uh, meditation from a lady's point of view about the art of boxing. There's a friend of mine, Sam Sheridan, wrote a couple of great books, uh, one called The Fighter's Heart and the other one called The Fighter's Mind. The Fighter's Heart is a lot of it about his experience in Thailand, training to fight there. There's uh, So, you know, yeah, he's a, he's a great writer and uh, he makes really good points. So, yeah, I like his stuff for sure. All right. That's what I'm really curious about because we are we are the same age. So how about a no. favorite martial arts video game? Were you a gamer at all? Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Man, I, I played every conceivable thing I could get my hands on. Not <laughs> as a kid because I was pretty damn poor and had no money for video games. Okay. But uh, in time, I even remember, this is, I don't know if this is favorite, but this is funny. I remember playing 
played a video game that was called the Shaq Fu. There was a Shaquille O'Neal oh, using yes. his, uh, <laughs> his uh, martial skills to defeat an alien invasion. That was pretty <laughs> enjoyable. I remember having the time of my... I don't even remember anything about it. I just remember laughing my ass off the whole That's time. That's funny. That is good. And, uh, that was a pretty good one. So what about out of the big ones? Were you, were you more a fan of uh, Tekken, Mortal Kombat, or Street Fighter? <laughs> I mean, those were all good, you yeah. know? I kind of liked them all. I had no... Uh, I think one thing that was missing from some of these things, because they're all fun from an action standpoint, Mm -hmm. Um, the way video games are today, they are becoming so much more focused on storyline. Yes. And I really dig that, what they are doing with character development and story. And so when you, by the time you get to the fighting, yeah, that's cool. But there's this whole other side to it that's, uh, that really gets you glued to the screen. Like I played one not so long ago, uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Mm, I've heard of that, set, yes. Um, yeah, my God, it's as good as it ever gets. It's, uh, it's set during the attempted Mongol invasion of Japan. And uh, I think it's late 1200s, if I remember correctly. And, you know, in the first scene, the samurai defending this island are pretty much all wiped out. And you are sort of a lone survivor of this horrendous defeat. And then now the game starts and you have to, like, the whole plot is you as this samurai on this island trying to figure out what to do as one guy in the face of this invasion. And... It's so good. It's so good. Uh, the action is beautiful in terms of sword fighting. The the, the world that they build is amazing. The storyline is incredible. There's a whole philosophical martial tension, if you will, between like your uncle who's an old school samurai about uh, what's honorable combat versus your approach as you develop in the game. That's like honorable got us all killed you know is it honorable to fight in a certain way that leads to you losing and your village getting massacred is that really honorable or is it more honorable to do what you got to do with for the sake of saving everybody and uh, and so it's very interesting you know i really love that one i'll have to check that one out one of my other guests talked about it too so i, I definitely need to check it out i think so all right it's a great great game how about a favorite martial arts tv show TV show, TV show. I'm just watching it right now as we speak. I'm watching uh, Warrior, oh, the so one good. that was so uh, good. yeah originally based on a Bruce Lee idea, but yep. developed, uh, you know, produced by his daughter. And um, and uh, I'm having fun. I'm watching second season one of that right now. It's definitely well done. Yeah, I need to go back and and, and rewatch that and get caught up because I, I watched the first season and I think part of season two and then I, I think I had to stop, but I need to go back and, and rewatch it because it is, it is so good. Good acting, good martial arts, fight scenes, yep. everything. Yep. So yeah, yep. that one was awesome. Absolutely. What are some of yours when it comes to shows? So uh, me, I'm kind of all over the place. I mean, like right now, obviously Warrior and I, I'm a Cobra Kai fan. Just, oh, yeah, be, yeah, just because I was I was a big Karate Kid fan, but that, yeah. I, I go old school. Like I mean, like Walker Texas Ranger and Highlander are good. Mm-hmm. I liked Into the Badlands, but then even mm-hmm. earlier than that, I loved in the early '80s the Ernie Ray's Junior series Sidekicks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I right. loved that. I loved right. a show called Street Justice that was on in the early '90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Carl Weathers from Rocky. Uh, so yep. that was a good one. And, uh, and I even, you know, it was a bad show, but the, the master in the early eighties, the really bad, really okay. bad show about Ninja. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it's horrible. It really is. But a lot of those one-offs, it only lasts like, I, mean, I was a big fan of martial law with Sammo Hung when that was on. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. right. That was yeah. the one. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. if I if I had to pick an absolute favorite, I'd probably go Cobra Kai just because that's it's one that I watch with my daughter. So yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, exactly. All right, how about favorite martial arts movie? You know, one of my all time favorites was the Feast of Legend. That's a Jet Li yes. remake of one of the Bruce Lee movies. And um, and I love that one. It's done so well. Jet Li is amazing in that one. The story is great. It adds a certain layer of complexity that most martial arts movies lack. Uh, and, and there's one scene I remember where, you know, there's him and one of his training partners, the son of the headmaster of his school. You know, they are going through all this drama and stuff. And there's a point where they are talking about the future and there's all this heavy stuff going on and they don't know what. And at one point, one of them throws like, hey, I've been working on uh, these in terms of martial arts. You want to see? And they get this like childlike joy where they started training together. and. Mm-hmm. And they have this uh, impromptu session where and that captures so much the vibe of the joy of training that uh, I absolutely love that one. I need to go back and watch that again. I probably haven't seen it since it came out. That was a great one. If you want to go classics, you know, you get something like The Seven Samurai is oh, amazing. Yes. Slow as hell, but really good. Yep. Great um, fight scenes. Yep. And then I guess it depends also on what you define as a martial art movie. You right. Know, it's like, uh, is uh, Conan the Barbarian a martial art movie? I don't know. It's kind of like at the edge, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it could be not. lots it's, of sword, uh, lots of sword fighting. I mean, it could yeah. be. Yeah. So it's some of them, they get, if you want to be literal martial art movies, probably Fist of Legend. Okay. If you want to go in, uh, in other direction, oh, you know, one that was fun. This is about boxing, but I had a Mm -hmm. great time with, there's uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Very first movie was called Girl Fight. Oh, great movie. Yes. And, uh, man it's low budget but it's so well done mm-hmm. it was uh, it was brilliant so um, yeah there's a lot there's a lot out there that's for sure one of my favorite boxing movies uh would have came out i think when we were me and you would have probably been a senior in high school called mm-hmm. gladiator with cuba gooding jr and james marshall and brian oh, i didn't Bra- see that one oh. i did not see that one a lot of people didn't cause I, I always look because i always mess with people and they're talking about favorite movies and they bring up the russell crowe gladiator and i'm like oh yeah, gladiator yeah, the boxing movie they're like what are you talking yeah. about <laughs> of course it's, it's good it's worth a watch it's not you know it's not like rocky but it's it's, right. it's worth a watch if you like boxing movies it's a decent storyline decent acting i think it was one of cuba gooding jr's first movies cool so, sweet yeah and I'll then J- james out. marshall i think that was the one either he did it either right before or right after he did a few good men so i don't remember mm-hmm. which came first but yeah okay, it's, cool, it's worth cool. a watch so all right final question this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie but it can be just a favorite movie fight scene favorite movie fight scene there's that's a hard one there's so much you know there's something that comes back to me i don't even really remember the fight scene but i remember the setup there was do you remember that tv show from way back when another remake like the original stuff miami vice oh yeah don johnson yep yeah there was some story that probably made no sense but it involved like some uh kind of japanese uh, crime organization yakuza kind of thing okay. and there was this one sword fight where this two guys have and uh, you know there's this bluish light rain falling and these two guys put up their swords i remember just the setup to it i was like 
oh wow this is amazing you know really? i don't even remember the fight but i remember just the whole setup to it the lightning everything was just incredible hmm. i'll have to check to see if I, I, don't, I, I used to watch the show but it's it's been a while so i'd have to i'd have to go and yeah i have like it goes so far back in time that i don't remember pretty much anything but that scene i remember stuck with me Nice. One other thing I, I just thought of that I, I had it written down to ask you about, but this uh, Geek Nation tours, you do like tours to Japan or something? What, what's that about? Just a little bit. Oh, yes. So I haven't done it yet, but the idea would be that next year, if everything goes well in April, um, the plan would be to go to Japan and be part of this tour where we explore the history of Japan. Specifically, we're exploring early samurai stuff. So wow. the period from the Genpei War through the Mongol, the attempted Mongol invasion. So mm-hmm. 1200s, right around up until that time. And, uh, you know, I've never been to Japan, so that would be oh, fantastic. Wow. I would really look forward to this as a special treat. And um, so, yeah, that's that's the idea. That look, I'll definitely put a link for that, too, because that's, I mean, that looks like it would be just amazing to do. So hopefully yeah, can... I'm excited as uh, just as much as like, you know, if I get <laughs> to go and help with the telling the history, in, uh, I would be like, wow, I, I want that experience. So sure. I'll oh, yeah. I mean, as, as a history nut, I imagine you'd be looking yeah. forward to it so that's good very cool nice yeah yeah well, yeah. well anything before i let you go anything maybe I, I forgot to ask you about or you want to be sure to mention before i let you go no i think this works perfectly nice it was, it was it's so much fun i mean you have you have a great great story and i'm i'm definitely going to go back and listen to your your, your bruce lee episodes and your jacaro you know, kano episodes and and uh, of your podcast and and I, I subscribed to it when i first heard about you and i just you know i only listen to podcasts when, when i'm in the car because if i'm at home i'm working on my own podcast right so, right, right. so yeah I, I get to listen for about 20 minutes a day when i'm driving back and forth to work to every podcast that's I listen kind of to. how i do it too exactly <laughs> so yeah. you do what you got to do but uh but I, I i so much appreciate your time i i love the love your story and i can't wait till this episode comes out if my calendar's right i think your episode will be out june 8th so just a, a few weeks but I, I truly appreciate your time and it's been a blast chatting with you thank you so much that's fun Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.